0: All right, so tonight we'll be in 1 John once again, and as I go through the Bible, I say, you know, who is Jesus in 1 John? So let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight the only way anybody can ever come, and that is through the grace and the righteousness of you, King Jesus, and through your love, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you first loved us. We get an opportunity to respond to that love. Oh, Lord, we're going to learn tonight, and, and we know, that you are real love. Our love fails. Our love doesn't produce what it should, but yours always does, Lord. And I pray that your love would work in us and through us, Lord, as you continue to fill us with your Spirit. I do pray that we would have real fellowship with you, real, eternal life, eternal fellowship with you forever. And that we would do that by not placing anything in place of you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, forgive us for whatever we place that takes your place, Lord. Forgive us of that, Lord. and We ask you now to speak through your holy word by your Holy Spirit, Lord. We, we want to hear from you. There's so many opinions and thoughts, and many of us even have our own, and we talk to ourselves more than we talk to anybody. So, um, Lord, just correct any of that that's, that's wrong, and and not right. We know that your word will. Your word goes out, and it accomplishes exactly what you have planned for it to do, Lord. So work tonight. And if there's anyone in here that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, that isn't born again of your Holy Spirit, may tonight be the night. May tonight be the night. Today is the day of salvation. So we ask these things in the name, and in the power, and in the authority of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Alright, so who is Jesus in 1 John? As I go through the Bible, I have, what is Jesus in each book? The book is about Jesus. So, if you haven't figured that out from beginning to end, this book is completely about Jesus. And so, in 1 John, Jesus is real love. Jesus is real love. We're going to read about it. It says love in here quite often. I usually take the book... And I have Bible software, and I say, you know, how many times does it say each word? I take all the common words out, and what words are unique to each book? And so that's partly how I get, you know, what is Jesus in that book. But in this book, it's going to talk a lot about what real love is, this agape love. What is this agape love? This love that's an action, not just a feeling. And so we know John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 talks about real love as well. We know what real love is, it says, because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So many of you have either in the military or been in the military, and so you know what that means. When you sign up for the military, that's what they basically, you, as you're sworn in, that's what they ask you to do, that you're willing to give your life for the defense of freedom of this country and for your brothers and sisters. And so... Um, just something I knew in the military and, you know, spoke to my heart. All right, so how do I apply that, though? Jesus is real love, but how does that apply to me? And so I try to, what is Jesus in this book, and then how can I apply it to my own life? So how do I apply it? I will, which they all start with, I will do what? I will have real fellowship, this koinonia fellowship, this oneness with God by not putting anything in the place of Jesus. We were talking this week and praying in the back as a staff, and um, we were talking about Jesus being our expectation. When we have anything but Jesus as our expectation in life, we're going to be disappointed. And we went to Israel, and the, and the pastor brought this up, and I just it really spoke to me that if my expectation is anything but Jesus, I'm going to be disappointed. He's the one that will never disappoint me. But everyone else will. So I can put a lot of things in the place of Jesus. I can put sports in the place of Jesus. I can put cars in the place of Jesus. I can put my wife in the place of Jesus. My children. Whatever I spend my time and money on is usually most important to me. So if you go over your money and go through how much time you spend, you know, is Jesus a good portion of that or is it not? It's just a way of kind of checking our heart. So out of 1 John 521, the end of First John. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. And so as we go through this, we talked last week about this koinonia fellowship, this oneness. This oneness. And I talked that it was a picture of marriage. Marriage is a picture of this oneness. It's the earthly represent, representation of a spiritual reality. And so why do I say that? Because in the book of Ephesians, as Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus there, he says this in um, chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So I didn't just make that up. It is, it is what the scripture says. It is our marriage is a practice of this oneness, this eternal oneness that we're going to have with God. And even a mystery, because even back in the garden, when it first says this, um, Adam and Eve didn't have parents. So, but it said, you're going to you know, leave your father and mother, and the two will be united into one. All right, and so the whole Bible is about one thing. I talk to this um, pretty consistently with the kids. The Bible's got one message, and that message is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of heaven. That is the message. It's this eternal kingdom, this kingdom that's going to last forever. We've seen these rulers, Alexander the Great, and the list goes on and on of people that have risen to power and kingdoms, but they rise and they fall, and God decides when that happens. Matter of fact, Jesus does. And so we have this everlasting kingdom, this kingdom that's going to last forever. That's where we all want to be. And so it even says in Luke 4.43, But he said to them, this is Jesus, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. One of the purposes that Jesus mentions is he was sent to preach the kingdom of God. It is the message of the Bible. So I have a question as we go into 1 John tonight. How many of you know for sure, without a doubt in your heart, that if you died today or the Lord came back, that you would be in this eternal kingdom of heaven? How many people know for sure, without a doubt? All right. That is what the book is about. That's one of the reasons he's writing, that we can know for sure that we have eternal life. We're going to read eternal life, eternal life in here, eternal life in here. One of the main reasons John's writing is we can know that we have eternal life. Let me ask you another question because it'll come up as we go through here. How many people think they're a good person? And so we'll see as we, as we go through 1 John, I'll let you answer that question for yourself. Um, we'll come back to that one. And so John is writing that through this book, because we have eternal life, as he's going to say, that we would have fullness of joy. We talked about it last week, this fullness of joy, this fullness of joy that comes from the fact that I know that I have eternal life. I know no matter what happens, we've been talking in men's ministry, Dave's done an amazing job of just bringing this, you know, to a reality. Really speaking to me, just his, his first wife passed away at a at a young age, and, you know, you're just not ready for that. You just don't, you don't expect that to happen. I mean, you don't expect, you expect to grow old, and, you know, life's going to go a certain way, and we have this, this expectation, and the moment it doesn't, it, it's life-changing. And so we never know when that moment is coming, but we can know for sure that we, that we have eternal life. And if we have eternal life, we should have fullness of joy. Not that life circumstances are going to be good, trust me, but we should have fullness of joy. So that's why John's writing, and then he's going to talk a lot about sin. Because in order to have fullness of joy, we've got to deal with sin. What do we do with sin? How do we deal with sin? Right? And so the other reason he's writing this book is that we would have freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. As we go through this book, we should know that we have fullness of joy through eternal life. We should know that we have freedom of, from sin because we have eternal life. And we should know without a doubt in our hearts that we've been born again and that we have eternal life. So let's go. We're going to journey through this together. Let the Lord speak. That which was from the beginning, that's Jesus, eternal life itself. Jesus didn't have a beginning. He is eternal. He's ever existed. He's going to exist forever. So that which was from the beginning, Jesus, the eternal one, the one that is eternal life, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, Concerning the word of life, the word of life. It's going to be eternal life is the focus, the word of life. He's the one that spoke life into existence. Matter of fact, he's the one that created you. He's the one that created you. He is the creator. We're doing VBS, and the curriculum says, Jesus, the creator king. Jesus, the creator king. He is is the creator. You had no choice over where you were born, what you were going to look like, who your parents were going to be, what country you were going to be born into. And so he gave you life. And he's the only one that can give you eternal life as well. Except for this time, we do have a choice. There is a choice to make. You have to choose to believe in Jesus. And so John's writing, because he's the last one that's alive of the apostles, where, you know, 60 years from the time that Jesus went back up to heaven And the church has been around a long time, and there was this idea that you can separate your physical life from your spiritual life, that your physical body is evil, and that your spirit is good, so that Jesus couldn't have possibly been a real person that had real flesh because only a spirit being could be good, and the body was evil. And again, as I talked about last week, we do the same thing, if we're honest with ourselves. We say, this is my Physical life, this is the life that I live, and then here's my spiritual life over there. These are my spirit things, and these are my physical things. Well, it shouldn't be that way. They should line up, right, so that we're not hypocritical, so that we are living by the spirit and less by the flesh. And so not separating those two lives because the spiritual will control the physical. All right, verse 2. The life was manifested, made a human being, and we have seen, and we bear witness and declare to you, That eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So Jesus is up here in eternity past, and he comes out of eternity, gives up his superpowers, and he comes to this world as a man. Took on the fullness of flesh. Going to be tempted just like we are in all ways, but yet without sin, so that he could be that final sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice for our sin. But he was a real person, he was truly God. And he was truly a man. And so John wants to make sure that we understand that. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Make it known. Declare it. It's absolutely true. That you may have fellowship with us, this eternal life, this eternal fellowship. That's why when we do these groups and we meet together, we're going to be for eternity together. If you're born again of the Spirit of God, we're going to spend eternity together. It is an eternity thing. And so John's heart is, man, I just want people to know the Lord, just to know Jesus. He can change anybody's life. I just want them to have this relationship with Jesus, the same relationship that he has with Jesus, so that they can have eternal life, and then they can live eternally with each other. There is no greater thing. He just, that's his heart. He's walked with the Lord for the time he was on this earth. Now it's been 60 years. He's getting ready to go to the island. And sit there for a long time and think about, why does the Lord still have me here as an old guy? But he did say that he would be here as an old guy. And he just wants people to have this oneness with God. This oneness with God. This true relationship. And so, we may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. And I told you last week, Jesus, God saved, is what the name means, God saved And Christ, meaning the victorious king, he's got victory. There's nothing that Jesus can't give us victory over. I've seen him work in many family members' lives, many people's lives. He can change the most messed up person from the inside out. He is the king of victory. He is the Christ. Verse 4, and these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. When you have this eternal fellowship that's never going to end with God, your joy should be made full. It should be flowing over. Not that you're happy doing jumping jacks. Trust me, we all go through challenges and problems. We're all sinners that can make a mess of our lives even after we're born again. Only I wish we were perfect. That's why I can't wait to be with the Lord because I don't have to battle the flesh anymore. Then I'm always good and I'm always right. All right, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him, that's Jesus, and declare to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. And so darkness is not a real thing. It's the absence of light. Wherever there is not light, there is darkness. And so what John is saying is, which is what Jesus said, that God is light. It's the first thing we saw in the very beginning of creation. Let there be light. There was darkness. And the first thing that comes is this light because God is there. So when God is in somebody, if they're born again, we're going to see a lot of if we say. It's different than what we know and what we do. It should line up. If we say it, we should know it, and then we should do it. But if we're really walking with God, if we've been born again of the Holy Spirit, then God is in us, and there has to be light. There can't be darkness. It doesn't work. That means God's absent. And so he really wants us to get this picture of if you're walking with God, your life should be a light to others. Other people should see Jesus in your life. It shouldn't be hidden somewhere. There's a parable about that, right? Hiding the light. We shouldn't hide the light. So if we say, here we go, if we say that we have fellowship with him, with Jesus, if we say we have this koinonia, this oneness, we're one with God, God is in us, and we're in God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We could fast forward to Revelation and see where all liars go. The Bible is clear that they all go to hell. That's where they go. And so if we say we have this fellowship, we can't be walking in darkness. It just cannot be. You can't be born again and walking in darkness. You can't have this oneness with Jesus. All right. One thing its interesting, if you've ever watched Ray Comfort um, share the gospel, if you haven't, I, I suggest you go and do. It's so amazing to me how much people will admit that they're liars, that they're liars. I think it is one of the best ways to ever share the gospel because until you realize that you're not good, that the only thing in you that could possibly be good is God, if you're born again of the Spirit, then you don't really understand God's grace and you don't really know who Jesus is because you don't need Him. If you're good on your own, you don't need Jesus. You don't need His righteousness. It's when you realize that you're really a messed up sinner that you need Jesus every day, every day of every moment. We need Jesus. And so one of the best ways to share the gospel is say, well, if you're a good person, let's find out. Have you told any lies? Yeah, lots of them. I can't even remember how many. People just will openly admit it. No matter who they are, no matter what they believe about God, they will admit that they're liars. I've seen very few people that won't admit that they're a liar. So if you're a good person, just stop lying. I don't even continue to go through the commandments. Just just stop lying. And I want to plant a seed in people's minds and hopefully get to their heart through the Holy Spirit that when they go to tell the next lie, Maybe they'll remember, oh, huh, maybe I can't stop lying. Maybe I'm not as good as I think I really am. Maybe that guy was right. Maybe I really do need Jesus. And just planting that seed of the liar. Verse 7, but if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship once again with one another. See this koinonia, this oneness that we share In Christ, that's why we do focus groups, to build this oneness, these relationships that are for eternity. They're not just for here, they're for eternity. This oneness. And where does this oneness, this fellowship come? What do we all have in common? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. From all sin. It cleanses us from all sin. So if anybody's in here tonight that doesn't believe that, know it's true. Your sins have been forgiven. Your past sins, your future sins, the sin that you might be in now, it's all been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. There's no sin that he can't cleanse you from. So we're going to get a little bit into the sin thing because the Bible was not written in in English. Sometimes we can get in arguments about the Bible and we start to argue about an English word, which is so silly because it wasn't written in the English language. It has to be translated, and they do their best job. Do we literally translate that word? Do we translate it in context so that we can understand what the meaning and what the author really meant? How do we translate these things? But it's written in the Greek language. And the Greek language is much more expressive than than the English language. So we need to understand a little bit about what is this word sin, and it's different as we go through here. So it helps us understand what John is talking about, when he talks about sin. And it's radically different for somebody that's born again of the Holy Spirit and someone that is not. So when it says it cleanses you from all sin, that Greek word is hamartia. Hamartia, it means offense. I have done something that's offensive to God. And legally, I should stand trial and I'm gonna be proven guilty because I've done something that is against the law. It's against God. It's a sin against God. And God has to punish me for that. He 's a judge and he has to punish me so I the only way that I can come to God is if my sin my offenses the things I've done against God and usually against other people have been completely cleansed completely taken away so as a non-believer that 's what the sin is it's my offenses as a believer my offense is completely gone the record is completely gone which we'll get into in the next couple of verses but Verse 8, and why I asked you if you thought you were a good person. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Same thing as saying, are we good? We deceive ourselves if we think we're good. Because the Bible and God are clear. That the human heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, it says. Above all things. And so we deceive ourselves if we say we have not sinned. If we have not offensed God. If we have not done something that dishonors God. And so, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. God's not in you. If you say you don't have sin, God is not in you, is exactly what John is saying. The truth is not in you. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, our offenses against God, if we confess them, confess just means, I agree, Lord, I'm a sinner. I agree that that's sin, when your word calls it sin, I agree that it's sin. I don't try to make excuses for it. I don't try to lie about it. I just am in, in agreement with God that that's sin. I sinned. So if we confess our sins, we agree that God, that we're, we're a sinner. We say, yes, we have sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, all of our offenses against him, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So unrighteousness is the legal record against me. The record is gone. The record is gone. So when Satan goes up there, because he does, to the Father, and he says, look, that person deserves judgment. They've sinned. We take it to Jesus, who is our advocate up there, and he says, no, I've already taken care of their sin. I already paid the price for it. Their sin is gone. Gone as far as east are from the west. He doesn't remember it. We remember our sins. We remember those that sin against us. We say we forgive, but for some reason, we hold on to it. We don't release it like God does. God doesn't even remember it. He can't know our sin. It's gone, completely gone. So may we know that. May we believe that. Back to if we say that we have not sinned, I'm good, we make him a liar. Because we're saying we have this oneness with God, yet yeah, we've not sinned, but God says we're a terrible, rotten sinner, like a dirty rag, it says, then we're making God the liar. And I can promise you one thing, God doesn't lie, but we do. And we should all confess that we do. And his word, once again, is not in us. It's this in us, this oneness. Chapter 2, my little children. Now, I don't think it's really talking about little children. I think it's talking about young Christians. That's just my take on it. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. This is a different word for sin. This is hamartano. Hamartano. So I'm talking about a Christian now, a young Christian, my little children. These things I write to you as a born-again believer in Jesus that you may not sin. Here, hamartano means to miss the mark to not take part in the prize. So I don't get the trophy. It's like at the Olympics. So when I offense God, I got to go before the judge, and I'm nervous, and is he going to throw me in jail? Am I going to get community service? If you're in the military standing before the officer, the commanding officer, and you know, am I going to get kicked out? What's going to happen? Are they going to take my, my pay away? What's going to happen? That's when you offense God. As a Christian, I no longer offense God. Jesus paid the price. I really want you to understand this. There is no sin. Jesus has paid the price for the sin. Sin is not the problem. Unbelief is always the problem. Do I believe Jesus to have taken away my sin? Here as a Christian, it's to miss the mark that I don't win the prize. As the Olympic guy gives out the gold medal and the silver medal and the bronze medal, I don't get the medal. So, It will be different for each Christian when we get up to heaven. There's going to be a a reward system. We will stand before Jesus, and he's going to hand out whatever rewards that our works deserve. So there is a reason to work for God, because you do get your rewards up in heaven. But unlike here where I'm jealous, you know, how come Mark gets so much better reward than me? Look at his big house, and I got this little junky house in heaven. We're not going to think like that. We're going to say, man, well done, Mark. Man, you just served the Lord. You loved the Lord. You used your life for the Lord. And I'm happy for them that they got that reward because I messed up at times and I missed out on on a reward I could have had. So it gives us a desire to live for Jesus, not to worry about the offenses against God, but to worry out that I'm missing out on this heavenly reward, this eternal reward, unlike the temporal things of this world. So a different word here. All right, so I'm writing to you that you may not sin. You may not miss out on all the rewards that God has. But if anyone sins, that is, missed the mark, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he's perfectly righteous. That's the only way we can ever come to God. If you read through the Bible and you read through the Old Testament and you see how angry God gets, and then you see what he did to Jesus on that cross you'll understand the anger of God and what you're saved from. We must understand what we're saved from. The anger and the wrath of God. And the devil, he loves to sit up there going back and forth between the earth and heaven saying, look at them, they deserve judgment. They've they've sinned, they've offensed you. This whole book of Job is about this exact thing. And Jesus says, nope, there's an old song called Jesus is my lawyer up in heaven. So, Google it, Jesus is my lawyer in heaven. It's kind of an old kind of hippie song um, during that time, but it's funny, it's good. But I got my kids singing it and it just kind of catches with them, right? Jesus is my lawyer in heaven. He is, you need a lawyer in heaven because the devil's there to accuse you all the time. Verse two, and he himself, that's Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins, for our offenses. Propitiation is just a big word for it's been satisfied. Jesus has satisfied whatever record was against you. If you deserved 20 years in prison, he satisfied that prison sentence for you. The sin is gone. The sin is gone. So we're not worried about God coming to judge us as a born-again Christian. We're worried about, Lord, I don't want to miss out on everything you have for me. I want to live for you. I want to earn the rewards up in heaven. And so... He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. doesn't matter which language you read that in. It says whole world, all the world. He is a satisfaction for all the sins of all people for the world. So sin is not the problem. So when you're judgmental and you're looking at people saying, look at that sinner, Jesus paid the price for him. That's not the issue. The issue is, do they trust Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins? What they need is Jesus. So we should be compelled to go to the sinner and give them the solution to their sin problem, and that is Jesus, because he paid the price for all the world's sins, not for a select few. It says the whole world. And so when the Bible speaks, we need to let it speak and say what it says. And it says the whole world in every single language that you can translate that in. Now, by this we know, so now we know, it's first if we say, now by this, because he's the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, by this we now know, we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is once again a liar, and the truth is not in him, is not in him, they're not born again, it seems. Because the truth is not in them. So we learned something. We've got to keep this commandments. As we keep on reading, we'll see what the commandments are. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Perfect love, the agape love of God. It's not just saying, I love you. Saying, I love you is cheap. If I don't know the person, I don't really love them and if i don't show the love in action then it's not real love it's not real love it's just a cheap saying and so he says i know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in but whoever keeps his word truly has this oneness this agape love and it's perfected in him in jesus by this we know we are in him in him born again He who says, once again, he abides or dwells in Jesus, ought to himself also to walk just as Jesus walked, just as he walked. So we see this thing. If we're born again, it's going to look a certain way. Right? We're going to have fullness of joy knowing that we have eternal life. And we're going to walk in the light. We're going to try to be a witness for Jesus. We're going to try to earn rewards in heaven, not earn salvation. We can't do that but to earn all that God wants us to have. He wants us to have everything. But in order to do that, we need to walk it out, not just say it, walk it out. Brethren, talking to Christians, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him, in Jesus. This commandment is true in Jesus. So why is it new? Because we have a new covenant, a new way of defining what love is. In the Old Testament, God gave Moses a set of stone tablets called the law, called the Ten Commandments. It's what, if you ever watch Ray Comfort, he goes down through the commandments to prove somebody that they're not good and then give them the solution to their sin problem, which is always Jesus, So those first four commandments are how you practically love God. The first four tell me how to practically really love God. The next six commandments are how I practically love one another. It's how I practically love you, how you practically love someone else. It is the perfect law of love, the Bible says. If you do those ten practical things, which are impossible to do them all the time, which is why we need Jesus... That is love. That is real love. It didn't. It hasn't changed. It's the same thing. It's just now we have a new example through Jesus actually living out the perfect law of love. Jesus did this perfectly. He kept every one of those commandments perfectly. We will never do it, but he did it for us. And so now he says, I'm giving you a new commandment, but it's just the example of Jesus. And so again, I write to you a new commandment new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you now, because you're born again, you have eternal life, you have Jesus, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And that's the truth. As we get further and further along in the timetable of God, the darkness is going away. He is the king of victory. He wins over Satan. He wins over sin. He establishes his kingdom and we live forevermore where there is no night. There is no darkness. He is the light, and he's going to shine. So it's all passing away. Verse 90, he who says he is in the light, but hates his brother, is in darkness until now. So if you're born again, it's impossible, it seems to say, to, to hate your brother. How could you say that you love God, you have this one relationship with God, he's in you, you're in him, but you're hating people. You're hating people. Oh, you can get bitter, trust me. We can still get bitter. But to hate is another thing. And he's going to bring it back, all the way back to the garden eventually. He who loves his brother abides in the light. So how do we live in the light? By loving other people and then loving God. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. He doesn't go and live a life of sin and then stumble others because other people say, that person just shared Jesus with me. But why are they down at the bar getting drunk? Or why are they down at the strip club? It's really confusing. It stumbles people. That's not the example that you want to be. And it's pretty hard to say you're born again if you're living that lifestyle. Not that you won't be born again. Not that Jesus can't deliver you out of it. But if you say that Jesus is in you and you're in Jesus, then it should look the way John's telling us here. We don't want to stumble others. That's the worst thing we can do. Be a terrible witness for Christ. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. You're blinded by the darkness. There's no light there. That's why we have God's word. That's why we need to stay in it and stay in this relationship with God. It comes by staying in the word so we know where to go. It is a light unto our path, right, and a lamp unto our feet, so we know where to go. Verse 12, I write to you, little children, Again, young Christians, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. Because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. We need to be reminded of this over and over, especially as a young Christian. It needs to be there because the devil brings condemnation and he brings condemnation and he brings stuff up from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the older you get, 70, 80 years ago. He'll bring up all these bad things. And so we need to know, that our sins are forgiven us for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, so those that have shared Jesus and had people come to faith through through their, their witness, because you have known him who is from the beginning, eternal life. I write to you, young men, so those that are starting to grow now, young men in Christ, because you have overcome the wicked one. So don't blame the devil for any of your problems, because in Jesus we are overcomers. We fight from a place of victory. If you get anything out of this tonight, remember where you stand in Christ. I win the battle. It's already won. Jesus has won. He's won. Remind the devil of where he ends up. He he might remind you of where you're at today or whatever sin that you're in, but remind him where his final place is because he loses. He's the loser. I'm the winner. I come from a place of victory, a place of power that's way greater than him. And so you've won your battle, overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the Father. Many of us have grown up with bad childhoods. We talk about it, me and, me and Pastor Dan is, you know, different people come up and we're, we're praying for them. And, um, you know, this, this just comes up of what happened during their childhood. And for some people, Father is, is a hard thing. But we have a father in heaven that is love. I mean, he's just pure love. So no matter what our father was here, if we're born again of the Holy Spirit, we have God as our father. Like there is no greater father. He's gonna care for you like a father should. He's gonna protect you like a father should. He's going to have your best interest at heart as a father should. There's a unique relationship, not just with Jesus the son, but with God the father. We are a family. Yes, we're a kingdom, but we're a kingdom family. Verse 14, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning, eternal life. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. The word should abide in us. It's amazing what God will do. I don't always remember the verse, number, or the chapter, or even sometimes the book. But as I'm talking to someone and we're getting in this conversation, the Lord just brings things back to my mind and puts them on my heart so that I can share with whatever conversation that we're having the things of God. And so his word should abide in us. If we're born again of the spirit, he's in us and his word should be in us. And once again, you have overcome the wicked one. So don't go around with your head down like you're defeated. You're not. Quit quit condemning yourself because Jesus doesn't. If you have Jesus, if you trust Jesus, he's forgiven you. Walk in victory. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. So now we're going to get that divided heart. Do we love the things of the world or do we love Jesus? At some point, he's going to test you with those things. There, there's going to be a test of this spirit thing. Do I love the world? He's continuing working this in my life. We had a nice house. A few years ago, and the Lord said, you know, I want you to go into ministry. And we had some people come up to our house, when we lived in Star. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but it was a lot cheaper to live in Idaho back then. And so we bought our first house that we actually bought was was here in Idaho. So it was a nice house. It was a big house up on the hill there in Star. And as we started having people over to have fellowship, it's interesting how they started to judge me. Oh, wow, how does he get this house? How much money does he make? What does he do? Um, And it's weird how the relationship changed. Like, people wouldn't even talk to me. And it's like, what is going on with you? I don't love Jesus any less. And so I went to a men's retreat. Actually, Jonah was there with his father a couple years ago. And, um, And we had our quiet time. And um, I just prayed, um, Lord, do you want me to sell the house? And we happened to be in the, in the Gospel of Luke. I opened to the Gospel of Luke, and for the next two hours, I just read through the rest of the Gospel of Luke and then just kept reading through the Bible. And all I heard was, sell, 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 sell. So we thought we put our house up for sale. Um, I took the highest Zillow price that Zillow had it listed at. I added $25,000 to it and put it put it on the market. I said, all right, Lord, if you want me to sell this house, you're going to sell the house. And so it wouldn't go. It wouldn't go up on Zillow. So I tried it again. And I was like, Lord, I mean, I heard sell, 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 sell. And maybe you don't want me to sell the house. Maybe you just want me to to stay here so I kind of had given up on it a little bit and then this lady calls my wife and says I got someone to buy your house I'm like "Hmm, okay right so I thought she just wanted to come over to help us try to sell our house well she really did have a buyer from California she t- took out her phone she showed him around the house and so they make an offer twenty five thousand dollars above what we were asking which was already fifty thousand dollars above the highest Zillow price for the range. So you know when God wants to do something when he when he wants to move is he makes it clear you, you know you kind of put out a fleece there a little bit and see what God wants to do and so but it 's interesting as I drove back by that house as the market continued to go up right, and now that house is worth a couple hundred thousand dollars more than what I sold it for and so i shouldn 't look back. the Bible tells me not to look back, but I go by there, and even the kids i mean it, you know we had a basketball court and a lot of room to play and the kids are like, oh, I missed this and I missed that and missed this. And man, you can just see the flesh come back and it's like loving the things of the world. And when I start to go down that road, the Lord brings up verses like this and just says, do not love the world. Do not love the world. Because it goes on to say, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Not in him again. So if I'm born again, I should start to release the things of the world and live more for the things of the kingdom. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes in the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. So the lust of the eyes looking out there. I think that was one of the original things that got Eve back in the garden. She saw that tree all of a sudden. There was all these trees. The tree of life was there too. And Satan comes along and he says, hmm, look at that tree. Why can't you eat from that one? That tree never looked that, that great. I don't even know if it looked any different. But all of a sudden, it looked different to her. And she saw that shiny object, the bling, and she wanted what it could give her. But it was the lust of the eyes that pulled her in. It's the pride of life, which is the, ultimately what caused Satan to fall from heaven. It's ultimately what led Adam and Eve to, to do what they did. They wanted To be like God. They were the most they were ever going to be like God, but they wanted a little bit more. Was God holding out on me? Was God not giving me the best? Because that's what the devil was saying. He's not giving you the best. It's the pride. I want to be equal with God. I want to be even above God. Many people, as you talk to them, that's what they do. They make up their own God. You start to talk to them about sin and about Jesus, and they say, well, I don't believe that, or, or that's not true for me. Okay, well, you can do the same thing that... Most of us used to do, make up whatever God you want and add your own rules to God. And this can be your little idol, your, your little God. And so the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the, the lust of the flesh. I have the kids touch their arm, right, as their mother rubs their arm or rubs their head or, or rubs their back. Oh, you can see the lust of the flesh. It's, it's very apparent just out of feeling, the lust of the flesh. And so it's not of the father but is of the world. Verse 17. But what's happening is the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever, has eternal life. The world is passing away. All those things, cars, sports, trophies, I used to be this, I used to do that, all that stuff is gone. What we've done for the Lord is what we're going to get rewards for when we're up in heaven. We don't work our way there, but the things that we do for the Lord, we should spend our time doing it for the Lord. You don't have to go change your job. Just do it for the Lord. Do it unto the Lord instead of unto yourself. Verse 18, little children, young Christians, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. Well, it's been the last hour for a long time. John thought he was going to live until Jesus came. I mean, that's what Jesus kind of alluded to. He says, if I want him to live until I come again, that, that's up to me. If I will, he will. So John had to have some kind of feeling that I'm going to live until the Lord comes back. He's seen the rest of them die, but he says, Jesus seemed to promise me that I'm going to live till he comes back. So it's been the last hour. The devil knows things are getting darker. He's working harder. We can see it in the world. If you read your Bible and look at Bible prophecy, you can see amazing things going on. But I will tell you this. As far as Bible prophecy goes, it centers around even this thing of the Gentiles, right? Even this thing of the Gentiles, the age of the Gentiles. It is while the Gentiles control the city of Jerusalem. So it's amazing to me, why is the city of Jerusalem so important in the world? It's this little teeny spot in the middle of the world, this little teeny city with this little teeny hill that used to have a a temple on it. So why does the world care? Why is the Arab world so fired up on it? Why did, as the Jews just, uh, on their day of independence, when they marched through the Muslim quarter, the Muslims promised to, we're going to cause violence. We're going to to, to really hurt you. Go ahead and try to march through, through our part of that city. Now they did anyways, the Jews did, and there was a little bit of, of skirmish, but, but not much. But why is there such... Animosity, such hatred for one another for this little place of land. Who cares? It's in the it's it's in the desert. Why do they care? Because Jesus is going to rule and reign from there, and He promised the Jewish people that at the end of time they would be back in control of the city of Jerusalem. The age of the Gentiles, their control of Jerusalem, would come to an end. We almost saw it in in 1967. For a few hours, when the paratroopers came and they landed there and they sat for the first time for a Jewish person to stand on the Temple Mount in 2,000 years, we thought, wait a second. This could be the end of the age of the Gentiles because the Jews have control of Jerusalem again. But then their prime minister did the most dumbest thing I can imagine. It doesn't make any human sense to me. He gave it right back. Why? Because it wasn't time. It wasn't God's time. He didn't have to. They had already had it. They had control of it. They had no need to put it back. But in order to have peace, we're going to try to have peace. It hasn't worked. They've continued to to struggle because of a poor poor decision. But it wasn't God's time. But it's getting to be the last hour. So what I will tell you is the Jews are going back to that land. For the first time in 2,000 years, they not only have that land back, but more Jews live in Israel than they live in the rest of the world. You know where the other half pretty much live? right here in this country. So I don't know, but God promised that they're going back to that land. So if we think America is going to be this heel, this shiny heel, and that the Jews are, while America is in power, while America has money, the Jews love it here. They're comfortable here. That's how they've worked over all their history. They don't want to return. When, when they returned back the, the, the last time, they, very few went. Why? They liked it where they were. They own businesses. They, they control banks. They, they control America. If you're paying attention, they run most of the money in, in this country. So something has to happen that drives the Jews back there. Something has to happen in America. So I don't know that it's bad. I just know something has to happen to give them a reason to go back to their homeland to end the time of the Gentiles, which Jesus says he's coming. He says he's coming. It's getting close. We see more and more Jews. That's what Trump did. Trump moved the embassy. One of the coolest things when I was over in Israel was to see President Trump's name up there. And it, it's, it's kind of a trumpet. I'm not saying that, that that's a fulfillment of prophecy. I'm just saying it's, it's interesting, though. It's like, hmm, I take note of that. I don't say that it's an a- actual fulfillment, but trumpet, Trump, hmm, very interesting. And it says the U.S. Embassy is now in Jerusalem. I mean, that took a lot of boldness on President Trump's thing because they promised if you do these things, they're going to cause World War III. And so it's, it's amazing. I mean, God is moving. It, it is getting close to the last hour. So we are getting really close to the last hour. And the point of eternal life is this is all going to pass away. It's all going to burn in a big fire. And we get a brand new one where there's no more sorrow, no more sin, no more sadness. Jesus wins. Life is wonderful. So whatever struggles we go in through, it's, it's very temporal. It seems like a lot, because it's a long time. If you've had medical problems for year upon year, it seems like a long time. But in the light of eternity, in the light of forever, it's but a, an hour, minutes. So the little children, so this word, this word antichrist, I like to use in place of Christ. Anything I put in place of Christ is an enemy of Christ. Anything, whether it's money, the drive to have fame, the drive to have a certain job, the drive to be recognized, children, cars, sports, I mean, whatever you want to put in there, any of that can be an Antichrist, along with people. We've seen, we've seen Hitler, he was an Antichrist, used the things of Christ to kill a lot of the Jews. Even this, even this Roman Emperor Constantine hated the Jews. And so it's just—it's—it's it's an interesting thing, this, this Antichrist. But there is coming one. There is coming a time that will be worse than any time on this earth where the Antichrist, the Antichrist, the fake Christ, the one that comes in place of Christ with fake miracles and fake powers, he's going to deceive a lot of people. And so one of the things that we do with this Antichrist coming is we say, don't look to Antichrist, look to Jesus because he's coming. And when he raptures us out of here, know for sure it is one of the best evangelistic tools that is there. Remember this conversation, because when I'm no longer here, it wasn't aliens, as the whole scheme seems to be pointing to. It's why aliens is a big deal in, in my eyes. Again, I'm not going to say that that's what the Bible says, but in, in, in what the Lord has shown me, um, it seems to be that aliens is going to be a great excuse for why are they all missing? Why are they all missing? Where did they go? Aliens took them. I mean, there's just this fascination with these aliens, so I can't believe it's just there because... But when we're gone, when we're gone, it is a great evangelistic tool because they're going to say, that that person wasn't just crazy. I thought they were loony, but they're really not here. I mean, where did they go? A whole bunch of them are gone. And so it is a great evangelistic tool. Jesus is coming. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the real Christ coming. And so he starts to say, they went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of us, none of them were with us. And so talking about those that don't have eternal life. There was those in the church that were starting to spread this whole thing of of flesh is evil, but the spirit's good. I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want, but I got Jesus. As we like to say, they got that fire insurance. I had it for a long time. I grew up in the church. I believed that I could do what I wanted because Jesus forgave my sins. I never doubted that. Even from the time I was a little boy. But I know that I was not born again of God because I didn't see sin as bad. I didn't see that I was this sinner that needed a savior. I didn't need to be rescued from God's wrath because I was a good person. I went to church. I went to a private Christian school. I did those things so I could go live however I wanted to but if I was to read this book, John says anything but that. saying if you're out there living in the world, you're out there loving the world, the love of the Father cannot be in you. There's no way. And so they weren't of them. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. That's the Holy Spirit. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, And that no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus, God saved, is the Christ, is the victorious king of the everlasting kingdom. As long as I believe that, I have the truth. Anybody that says Jesus is not coming back as the victorious king is a liar and God is not in them. He is an antichrist who denies the father and the son. Whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, the eternal life, Jesus. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you once again, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. This oneness, this koinonia, that God lives in you, you live in God, the Father, the Son, we're all one. How all that works in in the spiritual realm, I don't really know. Right, The best we have is marriage, is a physical picture of this oneness. In the spiritual reality, it's far greater than that. And so, also as a son, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Eternal life. He has promised us eternal life. We can know for sure, if we're born again of the Holy Spirit, which is talking about this spirit of truth abides in us, we can know for sure that we have eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, to believe that you don't have eternal life. That's what happened in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit's moving. All these people up in Syria, they're all getting saved. There's this joy, this overflowing of joy. I've got eternal life. I get to spend eternity with God. He's forgiven all of my sins, taken all of my shame, taken all this stuff away from me, this burdens that I carry. I'm free, as we sang. I'm free. I have freedom in the Spirit. And certain men, certain men come up there and they say, wait a second. Before you have eternal life, you have to be a Jew first and you gotta follow this rule and you gotta follow that rule. That's why Pastor Dan, week after week after week, says stay away from any form of religion, even Christian religion. There is Christian religion out there. Anybody that says anything but the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ is Christian religion and stay away from it. It's not the truth. It's the grace of God that abides in you. You have eternal life. So they have this whole council because Paul is really worked up. He goes down there. He's fired up. But you know what he does on the way down there? He's not complaining. He continues to share Jesus and more people are being born again. And he gets to, 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 to Jerusalem and he starts telling the others down there, Peter and James and those guys that are down there, he says, you won't believe it. Man, even on my way down here, people were getting saved. We were baptizing people. It was amazing. God is moving. God is wonderful. Now let's deal with this. Do we have to do this and jump through this hoop and do this to be born again? No, you simply got to believe in Jesus. Now they had some other cultural things that they had to stay away from, all this idol worship kind of thing, eating of meat with still the blood in it and, and staying away from sexual sin, which is still what we should do. But none of this heavy yoke, Jesus said, come to me. With all of your burdens, I'll take them from them. I know that women tend to carry burdens more than men. They like to carry this thing. We, we, we went to a marriage thing one time, and um, the lady was talking about it, and it really helped me understand. It. She's like, when I'm sitting there at night and going to bed, she's like, I got all these suitcases, And she's like, Man, I've got to like pack this suitcase and get this ready to go. And I got to take care of this and I got to take care of that and I got to take care of this. I just simply lay in bed and go to sleep. Like, I really don't think about any of that. Like, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I, I got to do this tomorrow and this tomorrow and that tomorrow? Like, when tomorrow comes, I'll, I'll deal with all of that. But women tend to do that. I'm like, huh, is that, is that real? Is that really what happens? Man, that's, that's terrible. I don't, I don't, I don't have that burden. Um, but Jesus just says, come, come to me. I'll take all those burdens away. Why are you trying to carry them on your own? And I'll give you rest. I'll give you just this peace, this rest. So we'll, we'll close in prayer. And Jonah, if he's in here, um, we'll, we'll sing one last song. But... Oh, Lord, we just thank you. Thank you that we have eternal life, Lord. Thank you that you've guaranteed it, Lord. All we have to do is believe on you, your amazing grace, your agape love, Lord. We're we're never gonna love the same as you, but Lord, continue to work in us. May we not place anything in place of you. May we have this real life, this real fellowship. Again, I pray if anybody that doesn't have it, Lord, that tonight would be the night, Lord. It would be the day of salvation, that they would accept you through your grace and simple faith in you, that I believe that Jesus is the King that's coming to set up the eternal kingdom. And I believe him to have forgiven me of all my sins, taken that wrath for me. Thank you, Jesus. To you be the glory. Amen.